Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Matt Smith. We've got another reoccurring guest this week on the podcast. It's Ryan Wood of SAPT and Marshall High School out in Virginia. I'm very excited for everybody to hear this episode. We dive into conjugate, we dive into holistic health, and just bettering yourself as a human being. I think this is a wonderful episode. I hope everybody enjoys it. Thank you so much for Ryan being on the podcast again for the second time. I want to give him a shout out. Uh, I know he just finished up everything with his master's degree. That's a huge accomplishment. So everybody reach out to him, tell him congrats. That is awesome, man. I'm so excited uh, that he was able to accomplish that. That's a huge thing. So make sure everybody you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you to all the past guests that have been on, all the future guests, all the people that listen to this podcast, and everybody that supports it. Again, rate, review, subscribe. Give it the five stars on Apple Review. Wherever you listen to it, share it with all your friends and family members. Um, I hope everybody's staying safe through the, the quarantine and through this virus. I pray for you and your family members. Always feel to reach out to us on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. All of Coach Wood and my information as far as social media is down in the show notes. And everybody, stay strong. What's up, guys? Strength Talking Shop podcast. Excited for a reoccurring guest, Ryan Wood. If you guys want to know his background, you can go way back to his episode. I believe it's number 21. Uh, Ryan, what's going on, man? Nothing. Just, uh, you know, enjoying this uh, insanity going on in the world right now. (laughs) It's absolutely crazy, man. Last time, uh, before the podcast started, Ryan and I were talking a little bit. So the last time I talked with Ryan was back in March, the day after my powerlifting meet. And since then, I mean, life has changed. My wife got pregnant. We bought a house. You sold a house. I haven't touched a barbell since then. I mean, dude, the world is going nuts. I know. Corona. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's why I'm glad I can still – I think uh, I think training is one of those things that just – it gives people some type of level-headedness um, and gives some something then for them to be dedicated to do. So dedicated in doing. So I think it, uh, I think it helps out. I think people who, who aren't working out right now, they're probably at a disadvantage because they're probably going, you know, mentally not in a good place. You know what I mean? Yep. I can attest to that, man. I know the first few weeks whenever things were kind of, were kind of, uh, you know, like I said, I haven't touched a barbell. We talked about the beforehand too. I've just basically been stuck with bands from Elite FTS. And even that time though with the bands, man, um, that is my time. I know I'm not doing exactly what I want to do, but man, the mental clarity is crazy. So I can't imagine just not doing anything right now throughout this stay at home orders. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that I, you know, my clients that I have at SAPT, which, you know, we kind of, as I said in the last podcast, we were with a wide range of clients at SAPT. Um, and we're back doing private training right now or semi-private training right now. And then the things that I told my, um, my kids at the high school, you know, I, we gave them, when everything first started, we gave them online programs. So <clears throat> through SAPT, we did it. And then through um, the high school, we did it too. And the thing that I told them, I was like, look, this is not ideal, but your options are you're either doing nothing or you're doing something. If you're doing something, at least you're, you're going to raise your overall fitness level so that when you come back into training, whenever that may be, like you're going to be weaker because you're not doing the same thing. But at the same time, your fitness level will be at a point to where it'll make that transition back into the gym that much easier. Whereas if you do nothing and you choose to be lazy, 
it's going to be such an uphill battle if you even make it to that hill in the first place when you get back to the gym. So that was one thing that I tried to, you know, really get across to my older clients uh, at SAPT and my kids at, at Marshall is, you know, life is not always going to throw you the most ideal situations, but you got to be able to be able to adapt or, you know, you kind of adapt or die in this, in, in this instance, you either adapt and you switch your focus into something that you can control, which is, maybe not your strength, but your overall fitness level. Um, and then, you know, you have that carryover to when you get back or again, you just choose to do nothing at all, which is never in, in most aspects of life is never a good thing. Absolutely, man. So, I mean, that's a, a great point in saying like, if you don't do any, like there's always something you could be doing, go yes. for a walk, you know, I, now equipment's hard to kind of come by, but if you have at least something like you got jugs of milk, fill them up with water. Once you're done with the milk, like, yeah. you, and that's the thing where you come into play. So you can go and you can give them that education of like, all right, th what do you have? Okay, well, we can do this. So is that kind of what you've been doing with, with some of the- Yeah, I mean, I put up, um, you know, when the quarantine first started, when I, was, when I was giving out waves of training, I was putting, I was filming myself doing the, um, the exercises on Instagram. Um, and then, you know, one of the things that I, I tried to get across to everyone too is, you know, because a lot of times I program in more of a conjugate type of way. So, you know, a good amount of variation. So I told them with this, I'm like, look, there's not gonna be a lot of variation because we don't have a lot of equipment. So, you know, I was having them use textbooks wrapped up in towels, textbooks and backpacks, um, you know, any type of chair they might have, you know, kind of any, any equipment laying around, but, you know, it's one of those things where the, um, what's the word, the, the excitement of doing something different will only take you so far. It's, it's kind of like when people see a prowler for the first time, they're like, oh, I want to push the prowler. I don't want to do it. I'm like, you, you want to do it now because it looks exciting and new and then you're going to push it once and never want to do it again. So it's the same thing whenever you try something new, you know, with the at-home training, the, the novelty of it, I think, wore off for a lot of people. And <clears throat> that speaks to the larger issue of training at hand, which is, you know, when people want to lose weight, you know, it's January 1st, they're, like, they're going to get back in the gym. The novelty of doing something new and the novelty of, of trying to make change and that ex excitement that it causes, it's going to wear off. So then that's when the whole discipline thing comes in, right? So the whole, you know, motivation versus, versus discipline. So you have to be able to, even when you don't want to do it, or even when you think it's not the most optimal thing, you have to be disciplined enough to do it. So that's one, you know, not only everything is something I've tried to get across to, you know, my clients and my athletes, um, just in general, but especially during, during this time, but it's hard. I wish I had that, that recipe for what makes people tick as far as being disciplined in something and, and, uh, you know, staying focused with it. But I don't think anyone has that recipe. I think that's just <clears throat> as a coach, all you can really do is try to help people as much as possible so they can find that intrinsic motivation and that, in, that discipline in and, of, in and of themselves to want to keep doing something. But it's impossible to just try and pull that out of, out of someone without them doing it themselves. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you kind of almost have to, you got to feed them a little bit. You got to give them the positivity. You got to give them the information. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge thing. And that's a huge point for it. Well, also, it, it also matters as far as, you know, from a strength conditioning, from a strength conditioning coaching perspective, I've always been against, and I think that I said this in the last podcast too, I've always been against the, that cheerleader strength coach. Yes. 
Like that is not my job. My job is not to cheer you on. My job is not, it sounds bad, but my job is not to motivate you. I'm going to give you the tools necessary to get better. And I'm going to hopefully instill in you the confidence that will allow you to become disciplined and understand the benefit in what you, what you're doing. But if I have to constantly get up there and, you know, yell and scream and, you know, give you all of this external influence to make you want to train, like that's going to go away. You know what I mean? Eventually sport goes away. You know, people want to talk all this stuff about how, you know, sport is, is exercise and this and that maybe, maybe, but at the same time, exercise is for health. Sport is for a different reason. Now you can definitely meld those things together if you do it correctly, but you know, based on our sport model in the U S we don't do it correctly. So the idea that you're going to be able to use, you know, basketball, for instance, the idea that you're going to use, be able to use basketball as a, as a lifelong activity for your, to improve your overall health and wellness for the rest of your life is a joke. That's a farce. It's not going to happen. Now, what you want to be able to do is you want to, you want to be able to do the things necessary that allows you to play basketball for the rest of your life, if that makes sense. So, you know what I mean? So if, if you're not doing resistance training, if you're not exercising, if you're not taking your joints through full, full range of motion under load, using the uh, correct motor patterns, eventually you're going to get hurt and you're not going to be able to play basketball. And people miss that. You know what I mean? They just think, well, I'm going to play golf forever. I'm going to play basketball forever. I'm going to go play tennis forever. But the fact of the matter is they're failing to understand that you know, in their younger life, they probably weren't moving very well. They probably weren't doing any type of resistance training. Their joints are getting mangled. Um, they're not strong. You know what I mean? Um, so as they, as they go on, they just get less, less and less likely that they're going to be able to play that sport. So, you know, I, what I always tell people is you're never going to be able to, to the things that you want to do aren't going to exist in a vacuum. You're never going to be able to just play basketball. You're going to have to do something that supports you playing basketball for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? And I, I don't think we, you know, especially working, you know, in a high school, I think that's one thing that we really, really miss um, in the PE setting is we don't emphasize the importance of exercise. We, we, um, we emphasize the importance of sport as exercise. And I just don't think that's, that's accurate, or at least I've never seen it be accurate. And all the times that I've been, you know, worked in um, the health and PE sector, the entire time I've worked in strength and conditioning, I've never seen an instance where you can use sport. And I've worked with clients that are in their seventies. I've never seen an instance where someone can use solely sport as a means to improve overall health and wellness forever. Yeah, you're just going to break yourself down in the long run because you didn't yeah. do those, you, you didn't have a foundation. But I exactly. think the thing with resistance training is it gives you the foundation to be able to do those things later in life. You know, how many people when they're, <laughs> 70 years old, they, they break their hip. I mean, this is a sad thing. They break their hip and then life is completely different from there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole point is, you know, we, I don't know what the numbers are, but the amount of osteopenic people that we have uh, in the U S is insane. And the exercises that we give them from a, from a rehabilitation standpoint, or even a prevention standpoint is usually what water aerobics or we tell them to go garden or we go tell them to go take walks. Well, the fact of the matter is none of that is going to improve the bone density. The only thing that's going to improve bone density is doing um, resistance training. Um, they have to put the bone under load. So it's just, it's just something that we, 
and the whole coronavirus thing is, speaks to it as well. We just don't have healthy people in the U.S. We nope. just don't. Nope. You know what I mean? Not, and not only from a from you know a bone density standpoint, but from you know preventable diseases and things like that. We just don't. We're just not healthy. So when people you know talk about like the the rise in numbers for coronavirus, I'm like, well, what did what did you or the rise in numbers of not only just people who have coronavirus but are who are being hospitalized for it and and are dying from like well, what did you expect? Like we don't teach people how to take care of themselves at all. Like even from a PE perspective, all the way on up, <clears throat> we don't teach people how to eat right. We don't teach people how to exercise correctly. So why would you expect us to be healthy when a pandemic hits? You know yeah. what I mean? So it, I think it just speaks to the larger issue <clears throat> overall, which that's the thing that sucks the most about this is my hope was that this was going to be a wake up call for everyone. Yeah. They're like, Hey, we need to get healthier, but it, it doesn't seem to have happened that way. It's a, it's a, it goes back. You, so you said a little bit ago that the raw rawness, it's the coddling of people nowadays. Uh, I don't want to upset you. I don't want to make you, you mad. So we'll just keep doing what you're doing. And if you're happy, then, Hey, life is good. It's like, no, like what you, you're being overweight, you being sick all the time, that's costing a lot of money and a lot of time for a lot of people. And it's hurting a lot of people. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest about it. And then yeah. two, when the raw rawness it's like okay then you're just gonna allow kids and athletes and people just to do nothing so and you're gonna be raw raw about it whenever you want to because you don't know what else to do because you don't you don't know yeah and that's what a lot of i think strength issue turns into it's just this who can who can make the most noise okay then they're they're the better strength coach because they can you know they can motivate the guys it's like well that's not real you know, you're not really helping those, those or, athletes. Or you're trashing so-and-sos because you don't understand what they're doing. You're not in their weight room. You're not them. But you, you're yeah. going to trash it because you're selling something else to make yourself look better. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing that I see more than anything that is complete. It's so toxic and is so – for me, it makes coaches look really, really bad, in my opinion. And it yep. makes it really turns you off to be able to like discuss talk things with people or release information because you're like, okay, how much am I gonna have a healthy conversation? I'm not gonna have any healthy conversation with this. It's gonna be nothing but criticism and bashing instead of having like, well, why are you doing this and understanding things? That's where it's a big problem right now, I think. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about you know how you train the kids, um, both at you know, Marshall, and then also SAPT, you know, we talk, I know we've talked personally a little bit about just conjugate stuff. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about it, I, I believe on the last podcast too, but I want to get a little bit deeper, you know, what are you looking for with the kids and then, you know, your clients and stuff? Yeah. So I guess the, where I come from the, the most, as far as programming is <clears throat> it's generally the same across the board, whether a kid is, um, you know, 10 years old, all the way up to, you know, someone in their, their eighties. And the reason why it ends up being oftentimes in, in anything in between that. So professional athletes, things like that. Um, what people don't, or at least for me, what I feel like they don't realize is that most people don't form a good, um, athletic base when they're younger. So if you look at, if you, have you ever read the book, easy strength, but with, 
by Dan John and Pavel. Okay, so in, in Easy Strength, they they lay out these fundamental human movements that everyone should be able to perform, both loaded and unloaded. So you have squatting, pushing, pulling, you know, vertically, horizontally, um, uh, breathing, embracing, um, crawling, falling. So all of these human movements that we're supposed to be able to display in multiple different uh, planes of motion, underneath load, um, no load, things like that. So by and large, almost in the 11 years that I've been doing this now, I have very rarely come across someone who automatically knows how to do those things perfectly. So the problem with that is that if you start loading those people too heavy with bad ingrained motor patterns without actually fixing the motor patterns, you just make those motor patterns worse and you just stress um, joints and musculature in a way that's not going to be beneficial for their health and it's not going to be beneficial for um, the field or the mat or the court. So an example of this that I always use is Robert Griffin III, who played for played for the Reds, he played for Baylor and then he played for the Redskins and then, you know, dropped off kind of face the earth. I don't need, I'm sure he's still in the NFL. I don't really know, but he tore his ACL three times. I think, I think twice on one leg and once on the other. And if you take a look at the photos of him from his, I think it was from his pro day or the combine day. <clears throat> if you watch him do his, I think it's his vertical jump or his broad jump, his knees literally almost touched together as during the takeoff of the jump. And then during the landing. That's, right? that's so, so gross of a picture. Yeah, it is. So the problem with that is, no, that should never have happened. Like, you know, this is a professional athlete. This should have never happened. But the problem is it's, it's always a quantity versus quality thing. So I'm sure when he was younger, people saw him jump. They saw him run and like, oh, my God, this dude's so athletic. His vertical's through the roof. His broad jump's through the roof. His, his speed is through the roof. We don't need to fix anything. When in reality, he had such bad motor patterns, he was just compensating. And he was so athletic that he was able to compensate really well until he wasn't able to compensate anymore. And then the wheels fell off. So <clears throat> the analogy I always use with this is, I think Kelly Starrett talks about this. It's like, you, you ever watch a, like HGTV or whatever, and you see people go into, you know, the fixer upper houses and they buy the fixer upper. And like nine times out of 10, as soon as they get in the house, they buy it. They're like, oh my God, the wiring's all messed up. Like I'm surprised this, this house hasn't burned down. That's almost every athlete, especially every good athlete, like Robert Griffin III. He was able to compensate for the wiring in his house until he wasn't anymore and the house burned down. You know what I mean? So what should have happened is when he was younger, those motor patterns should have been fixed and they should have been fixed under load. So he could be able to produce good motor patterns on the field um, without load. Um, but that's how, that's not the, <clears throat> that's not the exception. I wish it was the exception, but that's the rule. I mean, from, it's not the sexy thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. you said it perfectly though. All, I mean, most, I mean, all pro athletes are master compensators, but, yeah. and that is like the 0.001% of people. Yeah. 99.9% .9 are not master compensators. <laughs> but they're still, that's the point that they're still compensating. So that's what I'm saying. Like right. most, of the athlete, most of the people that I train, I don't care if they're a pro athlete or if they're 80 or if they're 10 or 15, generally they're all compensating in some way, right? So for me as a strength coach, I need to fix those compensations before I try and give them anything advanced. That's why I generally never give anything anyone advanced. Like I don't do triphasic training with anyone. Like I don't do anything crazy with anyone because the basics, they don't have the, they don't have the foundational basics. You know, Louie always talks about um, 
uh, what does he say about building a pyramid? The, the pyramid is only as tall as its base. Right. So everyone's, it has an inverted uh, pyramid right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because um, they have no real base of athleticism. They have no real base of foundational movement. And you can chalk that up to anything you want. You can chalk that up to early sports specialization. You can chalk that up to sitting for long periods of time. You can chalk that up to not getting out and playing. You can chalk that up to a, a, a load of different things. And it's probably a bunch of different things happening at once. So for me, with my clients at SAPT and my kids at, at Marshall, that's the first thing that we do is we just work on like super, super basic stuff. So for Marshall example, the first three week wave that they do, they come in two days a week. So they're just jumping. So they're doing vertical jumps, broad jumps. On the first day, they're goblet squatting. They're doing a push up position plank. Um, they're doing eccentric base push ups. Because that's the other biggest joke is that people like know how to do push-ups. Again, very few times in 11 years have I seen someone come in and be able to do one good push-up. That's correct. So, you know, it's, and then from a PE perspective, it's a joke too, because we do a push-up test, but the push-ups aren't accurate. So if someone says they said they did 20 push-ups, well, you didn't actually do 20 push-ups. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we do push-up position planks and we do um, eccentric push-ups to get technique right to get them to understand how to brace correctly get in a good position stack their joints over top of each other all those different things so then we'll do usually um, some type of throw like a medicine ball slam or a medicine ball throw um some type of plank besides a push-up position plank maybe another side maybe a side plank maybe regular plank um and then we'll do some type of unilateral exercise so usually like a step back lunge usually my progression is i'll go step back lunge split squat, forward lunge, Bulgarian split squat. Okay. So I always, I'm always throwing in unilateral stuff for, for all the athletes and the clients as well. Um, and then any variation of those, those exercises I just gave, and we'll do that for the first three weeks. Um, it'll like for the hinge, it'll be like, we might do, um, a kettlebell RDL. We might do a sumo deadlift with a kettlebell. Um, Generally, I'll give RDLs first for people because <clears throat> the thing with a deadlift is there's no eccentric to it. So people yank on the bar all the time. They don't know how to create that tension in the bottom. So generally with a kettlebell RDL, it's much easier to teach people because they, they start with that eccentric. So they know what it's like to create that tension. <clears throat> so that's generally like the, the first three-week wave that we do. And then we'll start getting progressively into barbell stuff. Um, so and I, I go back and back and forth depending on what's going on as far as my progressions. But um, like when I first put a bar on someone's back, I may have them uh, squat to a box. I may have them box squat. I may have them do generally anytime I get a bar on someone's back, it doesn't matter if it's a kid. It doesn't matter if it's an adult. It's the first the bar on their back. They want to just drop that as fast as possible. So I'll always give a count. So they'll have like a five second eccentric and that's so they can, they can control the movement, but they can actually feel what's going on. They can feel their knees driving out. They can feel their hips sitting back and I'll do the same thing with RDL too. I'll give a five second eccentric on the way down. Um, Generally anything I can do to slow people down, uh, the better off it's going to be. That's why, again, it's a, it's a joke to me that I'll go into weight rooms and stuff and I'll see people, see these kids like, you know, doing Olympic variations. They'll be, you know, cleaning they'll be doing a, um, a hang power clean hang clean snatching sometimes i'm like what are you doing this kid can't even deadlift correctly and you have him doing you know weightlifting movements um 
so yeah, like I said, and then we'll just kind of progress from there. And then generally what, what they will end up getting, getting into, um, whether it's my older clients at SAPT or my uh, younger athletes at, at Marshall, um, we'll get into kind of a conjugate based system. So it really just kind of depends on how many days a week they're training. So for example, at, at Marshall, we have two days a week. So because they're still pretty novice, their day one, and again, this is after they've already been progressed. So this is probably like midway through the year. Gotcha. Their, day, their day one is going to be their specific day. So when I say specific, I mean, they're going to do a regular squat with a barbell. They're going to do a regular bench press and they're going to do a regular deadlift. And again, the deadlifts, I usually switch between a conventional and sumo. I always have people do both. That's the other thing that irritates me. People get in this camp of like, oh, it's got to be conventional. It's got to be sumo. Like, no, it doesn't. Both are beneficial, especially for the general, general, um, well, anyway, I mean, general population and for athletes, being able to conventionally deadlift and being able to sumo deadlift are both beneficial to both aspects of life. So their day one, they might, like, let's say their first movement is a squat. So they'll a, their A1 is going to be a squat. <clears throat> their A2 is going to be a jump. And their A3 is going to be maybe a push-up variation or a med ball throw. And then they're, usually it's a med ball throw. And then their B series, their first exercise is going to be a bench press, um, just a normal bench press. Their second exercise is going to be some type of row. So it might be a chest supported row, three-point row, Meadows row, whatever it might be. And then their B3, since they've already squatted, they're going to do a unilateral lower body exercise. So it might be, um, you know, again, a split squat, a step back lunge, a uh, Bulgarian split squat, whatever it might be. And then their C series is going to be their deadlift. Um, and deadlift, I never have them do multiple reps for deadlift. They're always pulling singles, doubles, or triples, not heavy, but they'll do higher sets because generally that's where kids and people just in general get messed up is doing high rep deadlifts. And again, it's not that I'm against it. I've just seen, I just see too many potential issues that could arise. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. Exactly. So if I want 25 total reps for the volume and I'm doing five sets of five for squat and five sets of five for bench, then I'm going to do eight sets of three. I know that's only 24, but I'll do eight sets of three for, for the deadlift. Um, so then with deadlift there, that'll be C1 and then C2 might be an ab exercise and then C3 might be another throw or um, a face pull, some type of lower level upper back exercise so it doesn't affect the actual deadlift. So that's their day, that's their specific day. And then how I program that is when we first get under the barbell and we start doing that, I just do a progressive overload. So we'll do five by five for squat, bench, and then eight sets of three for deadlift. And then they'll start really light and I'll have them add two and a half every week. And then we get to a certain point where we kind of, they don't really test, but they've reached this point where it's like, all right, well, form starting to break down. They can't add any more weight. And then what I'll have, what we'll do is we'll all get together and we'll basically do like a five, three, one um, percentages. So we'll take whatever their, whatever the last thing they did for their, their, for their sets of five, we'll take whatever that number and we'll use that as like their 90% training max. Okay. And then in the following wave, they'll basically do five, three, one. So their, you know, their first, uh, first week is their fives week. They're going, um, what is it? 65, 75, 85%. Yep, that's it. Um, and then the second week they're going on 70, 80, 90. And the last week they're going 75, 85, 95. 
Um, and they're doing the, again, the same five, three, one, and they'll do that for squat and bench for deadlift. I don't do, um, I, I have them kind of go off of feel, even though they're novice and they can't really feel what I want them to feel. I, I tend to dictate their deadlift more, more often. I don't have them go off percentage for the deadlift. Again, I don't want them doing a, a max rep set on that there's just too much too much for me personally there's just too much potential for injury because i i might have you know in in my class that i teach in my strength edition class that i teach at the high school which i have um we have eight of those classes we average around 28 kids a class so i don't trust 28 kids doing max reps on a deadlift so and that's so that'll be day one that's their specific day that's like their their how they that's for them how they know like whether they're getting stronger or getting better. Their day two, this is where the conjugate stuff comes in. Cause I think <clears throat> with we've gotten to this point where people are like to be real specific with a barbell. But the problem is is like that's not how everyday life is. That's not how the field is. <clears throat> so their day two is gonna be um that's gonna be their their general day. So we call day one specific and we call day two general. And that's gonna be like really their conjugate day. So what they do with that is I switch the variation for their squat and their bench. So the this template's still the same. Yep. So A1 is still going to be a squat variation. Um, A2 is still going to be a jump variation, you know, so on and so forth. And the only, and those exercises, um, those supplemental lifts and uh, that accessory work is going to remain the same across the three week wave on day two. The only thing that changes on day two is the main squat exercise and the main bench. So week one might be um, for squat. What I'll do is once they start going off those percentages, I'll use those percentages for the, um, for the variation exercise. So what I mean by that is if we look at, you know, cause Jim Wonder talks about the, you know, the first set last. So I'll do that on the second day. So what they'll do, let's say they're, the percentage, the first set percentage for uh, day one is 70%, right? So then what I'll have them do is maybe we'll do um, an Anderson squat the first week. So I'll say, okay, we're going to do um, three sets of five or five sets of five at 70% of what your barbell squat is. Gotcha. Or your okay. And then week two, their variation might be a box squat. So I'll say, okay, the, for the second week, the first set is uh, 75%. So I'll say, okay, for box squat, you're going to do 75% of what your normal squat is. And that's what that's how they're going to choose their weight. Um, because I do like to give them some type of autonomy in choosing weight, but I like to give them that autonomy in their accessory exercises. Mm-hmm. I like to make sure I'm dictating the weight um, just because I have a better, obviously better understanding of it. So I like to dictate that weight for them. Um, on both days for their squat and bench. Um, and then I do it for their deadlift as well. I like that because you give them an inch, but you don't let them go a mile. You still keep that autonomy. You exactly. Still, yep. You still keep that um, keep that trust between them, but you can still dictate things in the end of being like, hey, hey we're going to back it down a little bit this week. So you're, yeah. are you, so you're changing that variation every week then? Just Not, on day two. Okay, just on just on day two. Yep. So every week day, that's day one. Day one is just five, three, one for squat and bench. And just, it's the normal squat and bench. So that always stays. Day one always stays. But again, 
you know, from not only from an everyday life standpoint, but from an athletic standpoint, you know, athletics is based around putting your body into weird positions and being able to transition out of those positions quickly. You know what I mean? So from, it doesn't make any sense to just do the same for me personally, right? You could definitely make the argument that all they would need to do is squat, bench, and deadlift, pull-ups, push-up. You could definitely make that argument. However, for me, logically, it doesn't make sense to me, knowing what I know about sports. It makes more sense to be able to, like I did a post about this on Instagram the other day. If you, if I have a kid that can, um, let's say they can perfectly squat uh, 405, but then I put them under a front squat and they can only front squat, you know, 165 without getting buried. That's a problem for me for, from an athletic standpoint and an everyday life standpoint, because there's clearly some type of weakness going on. You know what I mean? Or if I have them, if they can normal squat 405, but then I have them do a wide stance. Maybe I have them do a, a wide stance pause squat as a variation. And they can only wide stance, stance pause squat, you know, 225, but they can squat 405. Like that's a glaring weakness for me, you know, that I need to try and fix. You hit on something right here that I think is a very key point and why conjugate helps a lot and exactly what you're talking about is many years ago, I, I fell into the same thing where I was squatting, but I front squatted terribly. And I'm like, this, it, I sh- it shouldn't be like this because yeah. I was noticing some of the strongest people um, and some, some of these freaks that I saw, they were strong in everything that they did. And they had that pure, that perfect base that you're talking about. And yeah. I'm like, what, instead of doing the same thing over and over and over again, you're going to get so much weaker in so many different positions. Cause mm-hmm. like what you said, from an athletic standpoint, and in everyday life, there's going to be crap thrown at you all over the place in, in all different positions. So yeah. that's a huge freaking point as far as getting the variations and the difference. Because like you said, and it kind of goes back to what you are talking about, the conventional and the sumo. Yeah. You're, if you're crappy in one, you should probably bring up, you should probably bring that up if you're in the other. But that's the problem is like a lot of people that, you know, that's where you get these blurred lines between strength and conditioning and you know, powerlifting and weightlifting and stuff like that. Like if you're, if you're a powerlifter, you're not a strength coach. If you're a weightlifter, you're not a strength coach. Correct. Like, sorry, you're not right. I'm a strength addition coach and I happen to compete in powerlifting and I use different ideas and aspects of powerlifting in strength conditioning. But what I do in strength conditioning is not powerlifting. And that's something that I feel like people confuse all the time. So yes. you might have someone who's super into weight, like they're a weightlifter or they're a weightlifting coach. So then they just use that method with, if they're doing strength and conditioning stuff. And that usually doesn't work out. And to me, that's very short-sighted and you're leaving a lot left on the table as far as athletic performance. Yep. Um, exactly. But people get very dogmatic and married to certain um, methods and, ideologies and and things like that so then they they just shut themselves off from what could be and then they're also hurting their athletes at the same time so you know that day one that specific day i really i leave that in because again they're novice so they need some type of consistency right um and it gives them a barometer of of where their strength is at right so they can see that because it's the same day one the only thing that changes on day one from wave to wave is going to be um, the accessory lifts and the supplemental lifts. 
but the squat and the bench and the sumo conventional deadlift, those stay the same always. Day two, every three weeks, the supplemental accessory exercises are going to change, but for three weeks, they'll stay the same. But every week on squat and bench on day two, on the variation day, those variations are going to change. So it's going to illuminate to the athlete or to the client where they're weak and what they need, uh, what they need to be working on and what they need to be, to be focused on. And it's going to build up those weaknesses. Now I, I don't ever have them take max singles, like in a true conjugate program. I don't ever have them do, and this is for my martial kids. I never have them do speed work because they don't need speed work. They're weak. Yeah. Speed, speed work is not a problem. I'm going to work on, on that side of things with their jumps and their throws. So you know, you're just going to put lean, but essentially you're going to get speed work by just putting lean body mass on them. And exactly. Them and that's what I mean by advanced. Like to me, speed work is advanced. Yeah. It's oh, yeah, advanced. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know how you need to know how to put force into the ground, you know, w- with a great deal of acceleration in order for speed work to actually work. These kids, not even the kids, people don't know how to do that. I barely know how to do that. I talked with and, Rhodes. I talked with Rhodes about that preparing for my powerlifting meet. He yeah. goes, are you, are you doing speed work? I said, yeah. He goes, is he really doing anything? I said, no. He said, well, get that crap out of there. I took yeah. it out and immediately the lifts all changed and it went up. Yeah, up. It's, not, it's not that I, I do, I've done speed work and I've programmed speed work for it. It's not that I don't think it works. I just think you have to be able to know what you're doing. Like the athlete, the Bingo. person has to know what they're doing. Yeah. So if I have someone underneath, you know, if they're doing a, a you know, speed squat with 50%, I don't know, 45, 50% bar weight and 15 to 20% band tension. If they're slow, well, that's not, if they, if they're not trying to put, you know, force into the ground, they're not going to get anything out of it. So that's why, you know, I, I take what, for me, what I try and do is I try and take what is useful, make it my own. And then I discard the rest. You know what I mean? So from a conjugate standpoint, working with the kids, I don't follow it to a T. And if anyone thinks that's a bad move, I would have a, I would definitely have something to say with them about that because I don't think kids should be following a strict conjugate program, right? I just don't. Now, at the same side of that, if you're looking at it from a specific standpoint or a five-three-one standpoint or a starting strength or whatever it may be, I don't think it's kid. It's good for kids to just be doing squat, bench, and deadlift all of the time only, right? With no other movement thrown in. I think you need a just like most things in life. I think there needs to be a common ground, and I think there needs to be a, a middle ground for things. Um, so that's what I try and try and do with programming. Now from my SAPT clients, it's going to, it's going to vary, but I have a lot of my SAPT clients are there from my personal clients that I program for. They're anywhere from like 26, 27 to in their mid seventies. Right. And you have kind of everyone in between males, females, former athletes, former high level athletes, um, double knee replacements, uh, back surgeries, like anything in between with those clients. So for me with them, I had to do the same thing that I did with in the beginning, do the same thing that I did with them with the kids. I had to progress them slowly using lower level, you know, lower level movements, goblet squatting, eccentric pushups, all of those things, and then fix the things that were a problem. And at the same time with a lot of the clients who hadn't played sports before anything, build their confidence up in training, right? And that's what I think people yeah. fail to realize with training is like, that's what part of what training is, is it builds up your confidence. <clears throat> so even at, at Marshall, I have kids in my strength conditioning class that 
have never done any athletics. It's not all athletes. You get a mix with those kids too. So I may have a kid who's never touched a ball ever in their life. So I can't just have them come in and put a bar on their back and expect them to be confident in what they're doing. I need to slowly build them up so they gain confidence and they get better. Like I have one kid, he was a senior this year, so he just graduated. Um, great kid. He took my class the first year and just kind of took it on a whim and was kind of scared to death that, that he took it. And I get this example happens all the time. So, you know, goblet squatting, doing all this stuff, you know, feeling better, feeling better, feeling better. Then he gets under a bar and he squats 95 pounds for five reps perfectly, right? Knees out, you know, full depth, understands how to breathe and brace correctly, which is also a subset problem, which I feel like people don't focus on is breathing and bracing. Um, but, you know, he was just astounded by that. And it was easy for him. You know, that 95 pounds is easy for him. So then from there, he just build up, build up, build up. And then that was his junior year. Again, never touched a bar or never touched a ball, never played any sports or anything. And then this year he was supposed to do, because I do a powerlifting team at Marshall, he was supposed to do a powerlifting meet, but everything, obviously everything got messed up. So you took, I, so you have this kid and this is, again, this is not the exception. This happens all the time in the class. You have a kid who probably would never would have exercised a day in his life had he not taken the class. Now, if I was an idiot and I had it the first day of class, had them getting under a barbell and have them doing weightlifting movements and things that are not right for his level, then he probably would have quit. So yeah. I take that same mentality with my older clients at, at SAPT. Um, so I had some client, so every client that I programmed for, except for maybe one, now competes in powerlifting. And it's not, none of these people came in having, having aspirations to compete in powerlifting. And again, you have to look at the separation between, between strength conditioning and powerlifting. The only reason I got them into powerlifting was because generally, if you have something that you're training for, you're going to be more compliant. So Absolutely. generally, if people are just training, it's very few people that I've met that can train just to train. Yep. Um, they need some type of goal and they need some type of recurring goal. So it can't just be a weight loss goal because that's not a recurring goal. Powerlifting is a recurring goal. You're always trying to get better. So it's powerlifting is a good segue, especially for older adults um, who are working out because it just, it's just a good transition. So, you know, like I said, I have clients that have double knee replacements. I have in their seventies, I have clients that are, that are women in their fifties that work for the government that have families, you know what I mean? Like that just kind of, I have a client that's a former D one baseball player and kind of just didn't know what to do after baseball was done. So wow. he's been competing in powerlifting. Um, so again, my, so my point in, in saying that is it's the same idea that I use with the Marshall kids. I just do it in a little bit different way. So most of those clients come in three or four days a week, but it's still kind of around the same thing, right? So I'm still having them do kind of a conjugate for them after they've been progressed. And when I mean progressed, I mean like two years of solid progression, like I do with um, the kids at Marshall, the goblet squatting, understanding how to squat with the barbell, understanding how to breathe and brace, understanding how to, how, what proper motor patterns are and what aren't. So maybe after a year, two years, then I'll get them into like more of a true style conjugate program. And the reason why I get them in a conjugate style program, and I've talked about this before, <clears throat> These, these people are never going to be high-level powerlifters, right? So from a, if you look at it from, a, from an athletic standpoint, 
if you do the same thing over and over and over again, so early sports specialization. So if you have a kid who specializes early in sport and they start playing baseball from the time they're seven and they play it all year round, by the time they're 15, they're probably gonna be done or at least super be done. So you have to, if you have a person who's not been progressed properly, you have to look at a 50 year old woman the same way that you would look at a 10 year old kid. They're the same because neither of them have, um, neither of them developed a good athletic base. So the 50 year old woman, I would be doing her a huge disservice if I had her squat bench and deadlift all the time, simply just to try and get her numbers up for powerlifting. Because we, I would be doing the same thing that a parent or a coach would be doing to a 10 year old kid, making them play baseball all year round. So I definitely think from, in my perspective, from a powerlifting standpoint, if you want to be as good as you possibly can in the shortest amount, amount of time you possibly can, squat, bench, and deadlift all of the time at a high frequency. However, there are going to be ramifications for doing that. You're probably going to get hurt. I mean, if you look at most of the powerlifters that, that have come into powerlifting within the past 10 years, they do great things and they're done within three years. Yep. You know what I mean? So I try and take that same mindset into strength and conditioning as well, even though, again, they are different. So with a conjugate style program, it may not be the best to get better at powerlifting right away. However, I think it is the best for longevity, not only within the sport of powerlifting, but longevity in life as well, if you, if you do it correctly, right? If when they take max singles, you're not looking for a true max single, if they're looking at, you know, when form breaks down or, or when speed stops or, or whatever it might be. Um, I like conjugate from a life standpoint for my older clients, because again, you're leaving no, <clears throat> you're not leaving anything left on the table. You're training all aspects. So with their accessory work, with their main movements, you're training every different position that someone can get in, in everyday life. And you're making those positions stronger as opposed to just squatting, benching and deadlifting all the time, which is going to leave a lot left on the table. So, um, Again, I think using ideas from a conjugate style, using ideas from more of a linear style is and combining those things is always going to be the best bet. So, and we, we've talked about this before when we did kind of our, our group chat with a lot of those clients, I may have them work up to a single at like an RPE of eight or nine, right? So not, not a true max, even though some of them, you know, they like, my, I tell you, I've said this before, my older clients, they love to get after it. Sometimes I got to reel them back. I got to reel them back in more so than I do my teenage guys. And that's a good thing. That's it good is. Thing. It is. So, sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, you guys are going to get hurt. Like you guys stop going to this like nth degree with your, with your max ever movements. <clears throat> but for them, like, let's say we're doing, uh, I don't know. We're doing, I keep thinking of an Anderson squat for some reason, but we're doing an Anderson squat for their max single. <clears throat> I'll always have them do back down sets as well. So they may do a single at an RP of eight, and then I'll have them do a back down at 80%. So they get more volume at that specific exercise. And then I'll switch the variation um, every, so for their day one for squat and bench, I'll switch the variation every week, but the accessory work will stay the same. And then every three weeks accessory work, actually for them, I do a four week wave. So every four weeks, the accessory work will change. And then there's second two days. So they're, you know, quote unquote dynamic effort days. I always do different stuff with that. Depending on the client, I may give them speed work. I may give them just rep work. I may give them some linear uh, work. And it just kind of depends on, on the client themselves. So if I have a client who 
especially from a, um, a body composition standpoint, if I feel like I need to give them more volume, then I'll treat their second two days, like their second lower body day and their second upper body day as more like bodybuilding type, type movements. Um, so day two, day three, day four is, is going to change depending on what I think the client needs and what they want and what I think is going to be most, give them the most bang for their buck. <clears throat> but just like with the kids, how their day one is specific, the lower, the clients at SAPT, their day three, day four are more specific. So they're going to be, they're going to be using more just a regular type of squat or a regular type of bench. I may add like a chain or something like that, or I may add a pause or I may add uh, an eccentric, but they're still doing that normal movement. And again, we just kind of use that as a barometer for, you know, how they're doing, how they feel, things like that. Um, and then if I have a client that's coming in three days a week, their day one is going to be, um, again, it's not, not true to definition, but it's going to be a max effort squat and a max effort bench. So they'll do their day one is going to be full body and I'll give them accessory work for lower and upper. Their day two is going to be, again, maybe a dynamic effort, maybe more volume, maybe a little near progression uh, for upper body. And I'll give them upper body accessory work. And then day three is going to be their lower body dynamic effort, lower body uh, uh, volume day. Um, and then before that volume, I'll usually give them whatever their deadlift variation is going to be. And then they'll do, they'll do lower body volume. So they'll do one day of full body, one day of upper body, and then one day of, of lower body. But again, the, the, whole, the whole principle of it is to train the athlete or the person from a holistic perspective, meaning we're trying to not leave anything left on the table. Um, so they're going to be doing sled drags. They're going to be doing through all of them across the board, you know, athletes, clients at SAPT, they're going to be doing some type of jump depending on what's appropriate for them. Like I'm not going to have my, my guy with double knee replacement surgeries doing, uh, um, a depth drop. You know what I mean? I may have him do like a, a six inch depth drop. So he knows he understands how to fall, but I'm not having him do right. you know, a 24 inch depth drop. You know what I mean? So everything is individual based on, on the person at SAPT, but the ideas and the principles kind of remain the same. I just have to tweak them based on what's needed. So I think there's two things there that are really important in what you just said there is, and you just ended on it was the principles. You know, you have your set principles and how you train your clients and then your athletes fits into those different principles. Yes. I think that's super important because I don't think a lot of coaches and a lot of people that, that are, that train people have their own principles. They just kind of go off of whim and what they've read. And no, they have, they usually have a method that they've become married to, which is, yeah. You know what I mean? So what is the, what is the phrase? Is it, is it, uh, principles guide methods, methods don't guide principles. Something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So again, I think you have to have your set principles and Jim Wilner has talked about this and Dave Tate's talked about this. You have to have your set principles. Absolutely. And, and those, those principles will guide the things that you do. And those things that you do have to be ever changing and moldable depending on who you're working with, as opposed to someone who's just sub subscribes to a methodology and they're like, Nope, this is what we're doing. It's like, well, you're probably going to get someone hurt doing that. Yeah, exactly. And I, th I think another, another point there that you made, you know, you're talking about conjugate and fitting it for all systems. I mean, I think people don't understand the definition of what conjugate means. 
you're, yeah. you said it earlier, you're bringing up multiple things at once. Yes. And that's the beautiful thing about conjugate that I think it's bastardized and people do not understand. They think it's bands and chains and you're changing yeah. exercises every five minutes. Well, and again, the, problem, the problem is, is people, they think, generally the people who say that are not strength coaches. They're powerlifters. So they're not understanding yeah. that, that like everything, everything in life is context specific, everything. Yeah. So this is the same thing. So just because I'm using a conjugate style um, with my athletes, with my clients does not mean it's from a powerlifting perspective. It's from a strength and, strength and conditioning and a wellness perspective. So I'm sure people will hear this too. And they're like, oh my God, this dude's having, you know, 55 year old women doing max effort work. It's like, you don't know what the max effort work is. It's not a, it's not a West side max effort. You know exactly. what I mean? It's relieving some reps left in the tank. The quality is always there. That's something that I feel like people just don't pay attention to either. The quality always, always, always has to be there. Now there's always a time where you have to be able to <clears throat> get out of bad positions, but the quality always has to be there or else it's not going to translate to the field or to the, to everyday life the way that you want it to. But again, if you only ever subscribe to just a methodology, that's what's going to happen. It's not going to transfer well. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the beginning of what we talked about with RG3, you know, yeah, he, exactly. I, I mean, he was putting those terrible positions for years and years and years and look what ends yeah. up happening. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's what, uh, you know, for most people, and I think it's just the, the U S model of things is, uh, we just have a very quantity versus quality based system. Like I've, I use this example all the time and I used it earlier, you know, the pushup test that we do for, for PE, that is not a quality based test. That is a purely quantity based test. So that it would be fine if it was a quantity-based test. If the assumption was that every one of these kids was going to be able to do perfect push-ups, then yeah, make it quantity-based. But when you never taught kids any progression to get better at push-ups, and then you give them a test that is based on quantity versus quality, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think they're all, <laughs> all magically going to be better? Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? um, it's it's like giving. It would be like giving a um, like coming into biology for the first day, and you never done any science and the teacher gives you a test and you fail a test and they say okay come back in in three weeks we're going to take the same test and you're like well are you going to give me anything to study or are you going to teach me anything no 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 no. just come back and take the test like that's essentially what how we do things with you know with, with training is we don't actually give people the the means to get better we just expect it to get better and while the quantity may go up in things just simply by the nature of it the quality is not going to go up and that's really what matters. Yeah. I mean, look at all the, I mean, th this is something you see a lot in the high school ranks. You'll see a lot of kids and you'll see that you'll see these awesome hype videos where they're doing 500, 600 pounds and they're high yes. squats. Yes. It's terrible. It looks so bad, but it's going to get exemplified because it's 500, 600 pounds and whatever it is. Right. The, the second high school I worked at. So I've been at Marshall for, I think I'm going to my seventh year at Marshall or my sixth year. I can't remember. But the second high school I worked at, I was only there for a year and they had, a, I, I wasn't doing teaching the strength and conditioning class or anything, but I came in there to, to train one day and I'm looking at their record board and I see like multiple 500 pound squats. I'm like, that's not remotely <laughs> accurate. Yeah. And this is coming, this is coming from when I was at a strength coach at, at Mason and I'm like, there's no way, there's no way these dudes are squatting 500 pounds. So one kid, I kind of, you know, 
formed a better relationship with. And his name was on the board of the 500 pound squat. And I'd seen him work out. I said, there's no way that you squat 500 pounds. Like, that's a lie. Mm. What is that? He's like, I can do it. I can do it. So I'm like, all right, show me. I said, I said, if you squat 405, then I'll shut up. So he starts squatting and it's not anywhere close to death. That's not anywhere. I mean, it was, any, I wouldn't even call it a quarter squat. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you doing? He's like, I'm squatting. That's not a squat. So I had him squat. I had him actually squat all the way down below parallel. And it was good. The quality was good with a barbell. So I just said, let's just kind of progressively go up and see where you're at. The kid was a good athlete. He was a very good athlete. I mean, very good. So he perfectly squatted 275, but it was hard. Right. So there's a massive difference between squatting 275 with borderline perfect technique and then squatting 500, squatting 500. You know what I mean? So I just think that's something that uh, we just always relish in is this the idea of quantity versus quality. And I, I used to get into arguments with that with that specific football coach because he he was like, oh, I, I want them to get their confidence up. Like they need to get more weight on the bar, more weight on the bar. I'm like, you know what's going to get their confidence up? Winning. That's what's yeah. going to happen. If they win, they're going to get their confidence is going to go up. And I left that school after a year. And then I went to when I went to Marshall, <clears throat> the coach that would that so when I got there, there was a brand new coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the prior three years, we hadn't won a game in three years. Hadn't, we went 0-30, I think. Um, and then the year that I got there and the year that the new coach got there, he was like, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> he, was, he was a great coach. Um, he's like, do whatever you need to do. Just I'll do whatever you whatever you want them to do. You know, it's, you have the reins, whatever you need to do. That's awesome. It was great. We did, so the, I think the first year we, we ended up winning – and again, it's not definitely not all the strength conditioning stuff, but it, it was him as a coach. Obviously, 99% of it was him as a coach. <clears throat> but first season, we won three games, I think, right? Confidence is going up. Second year, we won like six or eight. Third year, we won conference. So again, like that's what slow and steady progress is what people really, really want. It's nice to give people um, – results right away but most people will actually do better with slow progress over time let's see here's so that's the what I thought I make programming. but here's the problem though is that you got we're, you were very lucky in a good situation with that where he yep. kind of lets you do that yep. a lot of the cases at the high school level and i know for sure at the college level a lot of strength coaches don't get that freedom and i think that is a big part of where the strength coaches have failed to step up and have a voice of saying like no like yeah we're, we need to do things progressing a little slow instead of, okay, we've got four years of this kid. Sometimes college is three years at the higher level in the power five because kids go to the draft or whatever it is. And they just load the bars, terrible movement patterns. And then let's get them out of here. And let's, tr-, you know what I mean? And it's just, yeah. I mean, you see it there. That's why it's always, it's always going to be better to try and have the best relationship you can with a sport coach, because, you know, I've had sport coaches that I've worked with in the past where, you know, one example was midway. It was a girls. It was a girls sport. It was uh, lacrosse. And midway through the year, they got midway through the se- season, they got shin splints. I'm like, what is going on? Like, we're not doing anything. That's like, no weird. crazy jumps. No crazy. Like, what are we? What is going on? So the next week, I came into the gym early, and they were all out on the basketball courts, and their coaches were taking them through a jump rope workout. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what are you guys doing? 
and they had been doing jump rope workouts five days a week in the mornings. And I had no idea. I'm like, okay, well, that's why they have shin splints. So again, you know, you, with sport coaches, it's always, it's always going to be an up about it. That's why it's always better to be, <clears throat> you know, when I was younger, I used to get really mad at them and I still get mad, but I can hide it better. So now <laughs> it's, 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 you know, I'm, I'm 33 now. Like I have to, I had to have gotten better in some ways. Uh, but now I try to explain things a little bit better and not get mad. <clears throat> and I try and meet the the coaches halfway on things that they want versus things that I think they need and, and things like that. So I think it's always better to try and have the best relationship as possible with the sport coach, even if you disagree with a lot of what they do. Um, you know, what's the, what's the other phrase is always, you can always catch more flies with, uh, what is it? I don't. I, I know. <laughs> so I mean, my point is always it's always going to be better better to be to to be nicer uh, than you know get mad and double down and then just be like, all right, well, fine, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work with you then because ultimately the only people that suffer from that are the athletes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly, and you said it right there. And there's too many times where some coaches will just kind of plant their flag where it is, and then the athletes suffer. And then they're going to suffer because they're going to get fired from the job. They're, you're not long for that job. Let's just be yeah. honest. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, let's go and wind down here, man. Um, you know, if people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? Um, yeah, so um, I always forget my Instagram name. Let me let me check it real quick. I think it's Ryan Wood 87 or Wood Ryan 87. I, I can't remember exactly. It's uh, Coach Wood 87. Sorry. I never – pay attention to it i should probably know that um yeah so uh my instagram is coach wood 87 um normally I, I post a good bit um you know on my instagram i try to use that as a platform for for everyone because i have my high school kids that follow me i have clients that follow me and then obviously other random people so i try and use that as a platform to give to give good advice um i've been on a nutrition kick for a while now even though i'm you know i'm not a nutritionist or anything like that but i'll post uh nutrition stuff on there i'll post training stuff i've been i haven't posted that much um content lately just because of you know we've life's been been busy um but it should be uh getting less busy in the next few weeks so i'll be posting more so coachwood 87 is my instagram that's only social media and then if anyone ever wants to talk about training or anything my email is uh ryan m wood 87 at gmail.com the m stands for michael so ryan m wood 87 at gmail.com. So I'm always down to talk about, uh, training and, and things like that. So I appreciate you having me on for the, for the second time. Uh, hopefully I didn't ramble too much, but no, but well, real quick, I know I said it's going to wind down, but there was one thing that you put up on Instagram that was complete gold that I think, um, a lot of people uh, should take into account for, especially people that are dealing with, um, uh, diet and nutrition and stuff like that. You talked about 170 has now become the new, 140 from what it used to be you yeah know, people are just so much more obese and they just don't take into account their nutrition and their health and yep. if now is the time for people to understand that and this is coming from somebody that used to be 270 pounds you know i've lost over 100 pounds myself so it's like you know health is everything and what that scale says and how you feel is everything and i think that was a very important thing i shared that with a lot of people man so a lot of great yeah. content you're putting up it's one of those things where where I'm trying to put this how I put this delicately. We live in a in a time where um, people want you to take responsibility for other people. If that makes sense, 
in reality, I think the the whole is the sum of its parts. So I think if you focus on on your personal responsibility yes. to yourself, it's going to help society as a whole, right? So instead of me worrying about cleaning out someone else's closet, I need to clean out my own. Instead of working worrying about making someone else or making someone else's bed, I need to make my own. Exactly. Um, so, you know, especially with, you know, coronavirus stuff and things like that, um, I have no problem. I'm going to be, again, I don't want to cause any problems or anything, but I'm perfectly okay with wearing a mask, right? I'm perfectly okay with vaccines. I'm perfectly okay with these things, but these are reactionary measures, right? They're not proactive measures. So it's kind of like the, the, the um, analogy that I use for this is like physical therapy, right? So from a physical therapy standpoint, that's after the injury. So it's a reactive measure. So the surgery has happened. Now you're in physical therapy. We're trying to take care of the specific injury, but there's no proactive to why the injury took, took place in the first place. So if you look at someone like RG3, three ACL tears, okay? We fix the ACL every time we rehab it, we get them back on the field. There's no mention though of being proactive to figure out why the injury happened in the first place. So with this stuff going on, I tend to relate everything back to, you know, weight training and strength using. So with this thing going on, right, if we look at the amount of people, and again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not uh, a doctor or anything. But when you look at the people who are really, really suffering, again, there's always going to be exceptions, but people who are really, really suffering and dying, it's remarkable how many of them have underlying health conditions. And to a further extent, it's even more remarkable how many of those underlying health conditions um, are preventable. Yeah. They're preventable through the th- same things that I always talk about with my clients and kids, sleep, diet, exercise. And those are three things that we do not do well in this country. Um, and we and it's for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes those reasons that we don't do well at them are our own fault. Sometimes those reasons that we don't do well with them are outside of our control. Like if we're working multiple jobs and things like that. However, there's always something that we can be doing. Even if it's, it's even if, <clears throat> even if you have access to the worst food ever, as long as you're eating at a caloric um, maintenance level or a caloric deficit metabolically and from a body composition standpoint, you're probably just going to be healthier. Exactly. If you're doing some type of exercise, you know, two days a week, you're probably going to be healthier. So I'm not saying that this is the cure for anything or anything like that, but that was why I said earlier, like, I hope I thought that this was going to have a better um, story than it actually has as far as coronavirus. Cause I, th- I just thought it was going to be a more of a wake up call as far as, you know, people taking care of themselves, especially from a health and PE standpoint. Like I think health and PE should be that thing that helps people for the rest of their life. And I just don't think that's, you know, that's happened. I think we've, we haven't done a great job as far as, utilizing the information that we've gained to help people get better and more healthy throughout their life. I think it's kind of gone, gone, kind of gone the opposite way. So anyway, my, my point in saying that is, you know, you, you kind of hit it, hit it on the head, like, you know, diet, exercise, th- those are, those are number one. So for me, from not only my Instagram, but from how I coach, you know, competing in powerlifting is great. Competing in sports is great, but ultimately my goal for everyone is to give them the tools necessary to be healthy for the rest of their life. Because again, like I said, that's their personal responsibility to society. That's their personal responsibility to their family. Like, I don't want to be that dude who's, you know, 
I use my family or I use whatever excuse as to why I didn't take care of myself. And then 50, I'm 55 and then I have uh, diabetes or uh, heart attack or whatever. And now I can't even take care of my family. They have to take care of me. Which, when all I had to do was I just had to eat a little bit better. I just had to exercise a little more and I had to sleep a little bit better. Like that's all I had to do. I used every excuse imaginable to not, to not do that. And again, but then, but then at that same time, I'm the same person that got mad at everyone else for not doing this or not doing that or not doing that. But I didn't do my due diligence to take care of myself. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's where I have, I guess I have a problem with, with things. <clears throat> I want to be, if I don't, if I mess something up, I want to say it's my fault. I don't want to, I don't want to say it's, it's someone else's fault. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to blame someone else. Like, I don't want to blame my family for me not being healthy. Like, they should be brother. the reason why, why I'm healthy. You know? you're, you're taking so, ownership, yeah. taking ownership over the situation, man. That's what I love. And I think, uh, I think that's super important. I know Jocko talks about that. I know Goggins, you know, all those motivational people, but it all comes down to what, you know, what's your ownership and what you're doing. You know, are you having that, that self-discipline? Cause here's the thing motivation is going to go by really, really, really fast. Again, coming from somebody that's lost a lot of weight and, and everything like that, it goes by really, really quick. That motivation has gone within a few few weeks, few days, especially like that first time you yeah. see the scale or the first time the, the, the weight starts to feel a little bit tough. You're like, damn, this sucks. But it's keep yeah. going and getting after it and getting after it. And I think you're making great points and helping people. I hope when people listen to this. And also, yeah. you know, also, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert on this. This is just my own, <laughs> this, is my, this is my own personal opinion, you know, just from the, you know, I'm just a strength coach. Like don't, you know, it's just my own personal, like kind of trying to be objective and, and viewing things. So hopefully no one, you know, no one gets too mad about what I said. No, I don't, I don't think so, man. Well, and then two, man, I think if anybody's going to be upset, it's going to be RG3. I mean, this guy's been brought up <laughs> how many times on this episode, you know what I mean? So yeah, we'll, we'll get you out of here, brother. Um, everybody. I appreciate you being on Ryan. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. All right, guys. Everybody, make sure you reach out to Ryan. Um, great guy. A lot of great resources. Obviously, you can hear from him. He's very passionate about uh, coaching and strength conditioning. So, everybody, make sure you uh, reach out to him and uh, stay strong. All right. See you guys. Thanks.